0: God bless us, and the Virgin protect us. And once again, I want to explicitly acknowledge my debt and gratitude to Our Lady of Fatima. She has to get the credit for anything good to her beautiful in any of my conferences, and all the faults are mine. I'm Maria Prissima, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Yesterday, we began considering the message of Fatima itself. We saw that the vision of hell Reality which has almost been forgotten in our t- sad times, plays a central role in the message. We saw that hell exists, and that the terrifying vision showed to the three children accords perfectly with both scripture and tradition. We saw that the principal pain in hell is the pain of loss, the pain of having lost God. We saw that the damned also suffer the pain of sense, especially from hellfire. We saw the damned are also tormented by the worm that dieth not, which is the realization of how easily they could have been saved. We saw that eternity is the terror above all terrors. We saw that we cannot dare to hope that all men are saved, since Pope Pius II specifically condemned the statement that all Christians are to be saved, and that according to our Lord, many are not saved. We saw that we actually know the names of some of the people in hell. The Apostle Judas, and Kor, Dathan, and Abiron, all priests of the old covenant. We saw that it would be very difficult to overestimate the impact the vision of hell had on the three children. And that the vision of hell filled St. Jacinta with such horror that every penance and mortification was as nothing in her eyes if it only could prevent souls from going there. We saw that in the 1940s, the Pope warned us that mankind had lost the sense of sin and had reached a degree of wickedness never before seen in the history of the world. We saw that we could say of our times what that great doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom said of his, that most Christians are walking on the road to hell throughout their life Why should anyone be surprised that the greater number go there? To arrive at a destination, we have to take the road that leads there. We saw that in St. Jacinta's prophecy that, quote, fashions will greatly offend our Lord will appear. People who follow God should not follow fashions. The church has no fashions. Our Lord was always the same, close quote. That the word fashions can be understood in Portuguese to refer to such things as communion in the hand girl altar boys, and other modern horrors. And we've heard the version of Re- Revelation warn priests, do not reject the ancient holy things. You must dedicate yourselves completely to worship at the altar. Okay, let's turn to the second part of the message which pertains to the salvation of nations in the social order and to persecution of freedom for the church. We'll review the pertinent parts of the message. Sister Lucia, quote, Our Lady said to us so kindly and so sadly, continue to pray the rosary every day in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary in order to obtain peace for the world and the end of the war because only she can help you. You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the pontificate of Pius XI. When you see a night illumined by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign given you by God, that he's about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and of the Holy Father. To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her heirs throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. So Our Lady promised peace in the conversion of Russia if her requests were heeded. She gave three requests. First request, pray the rosary. Quote, pray the rosary every day in honor of Our Lady the rosary in order to obtain peace for the world and an end to the war because only she can help you. Close quote. Second request, the five communions of reparation on the first Saturdays. Now, before the outbreak of hostilities in World War II, Sister Lucia wrote, quote, Whether the world has war or peace depends upon the practice of this devotion, along with the consecration of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Sister Lucia asked our Lord, Why five Saturdays? And our Lord answered, My daughter, the reason is simple. There are five kinds of offenses and blasphemies committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. First, blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception. Second, blasphemies against her perpetual virginity. Third, blasphemies against her divine maternity while refusing at the same time to recognize her as the mother of men. Fourth, the blasphemies of those who seek publicly to sow in the hearts of children indifference or scorn or even hatred towards this Immaculate Mother. And fifth, the fences of those who outrage her directly in her holy images. There, my daughter, is the reason why the Immaculate Heart of Mary inspired me to request this small act of reparation, and in consideration of it, to move my mercy to forgive souls who have had the misfortune to offend her." Close quote. Third request, the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart, Our Lady. I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. She warned of terrible punishments if her requests were not heeded. The war is going to end. She, of course, is speaking of World War I. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out than the pontificate of Pius XI. When you see a night illumined by an unknown light, Know this is a great sign given you by God that he's about to punish the world for all its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and the Holy Father. To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she shall spare errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. Now there's a lot there, so first we'll briefly touch upon World War II, then in a few minutes we'll consider the errors of Russia. World War II, Our Lady speaks of the war and preventing it. If people do not cease offending God, a worse war will break out in the pontificate of Pius XI. To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Rush to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. Our Lady of Fatima came to ask just that on June 13, 1929, appearing to Sister Lucia while she was making in a holy hour in the chapel of the convent in Tui, Spain. Our Lady, the moment has come when God asks the Holy Father to make an union with all the bishops of the world the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to save it by this means." Quote. Now we can get the, some idea of the effects of such a consecration by considering the case of Portugal. On May 13th, 1931, in response to Sister Lucia's urgings, the bishops of Portugal consecrated their country to the Immaculate Heart. The results were, first, a striking rebirth of Catholic life, Second, an almost unbelievable rise in vocations. Third, a complete political and social reform in line with Catholic social principles. And fourth, Portugal is given peace and spared from both the Spanish Civil War and the Second World War. In the spring of 1936, our Lord told Sister Lucia the conversion of Russia would only occur when it was solemnly and publicly consecrated to the immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope together with all the world's bishops. In October 1942, without the bishops, Pope Pius XII consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In 1952, without the bishops, Pope Pius XII consecrated Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In May 1967, Pope Paul VI renewed the consecration of the world to the Immaculate Heart, again without the bishops. In June of 1981, St. John Paul II renewed the consecration of the world again without the bishops. In May of 1982, St. John Paul II renewed the consecration of the world again without the bishops. On March 25th, 1984, St. John Paul II renewed the consecration of the world to the Immaculate Heart with the bishops. The Pope wanted to consecrate Russia by name, but his Cardinal Paul Joseph Cordes he was the official representative of Pope Francis at the Fatima anniversary celebration in Kazakhstan on May 13th of this year. As Cardinal Cortes pointed out, St. John Paul II told him that he, quote, did not mention Russia explicitly because the Vatican diplomats had urgently asked him not to mention this country because otherwise political conflicts might perhaps arise, close quote. During the actual ceremony, the very words of the Pope himself Made it clear the consecration still hadn't been done. During the consecration of the world, not Russia, to the Immaculate Heart, he said, obviously referring to Russia, quote, enlighten especially the peoples of which you yourself are awaiting our consecration and confiding, close quote, St. John Paul II. All this is reported in the Vatican newspaper, the Romano, on March 26, 1984. I'm very well aware of the controversy on this point, but I'll put my money on the Pope. If St. John Paul II said the consecration hadn't been done, then it hasn't been done. There's another reason why these arguments really don't make any sense, that the consecration was definitively done in 84, since in 1991 and then again in 2000, St. John Paul II repeated these consecrations of the world to the Immaculate Heart. In fact, in Rome on May 19th of this year, Cardinal Burke stated, quote, in fact, the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary did not take place as she requested, and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays did not become the practice of the universal church. It is more important now to make a specific consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart as the Mother of God requested at Fatima." Close quotes, Cardinal Burke. In any event, it's obvious that Russia hasn't converted. Russian Orthodoxy is certainly not Catholicism. And as we'll see, her errors are still spreading throughout the world. Back to Our Lady. When you see a night illumined by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign given to you by God, that He is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and the Holy Father. Saint Vincent Ferrer. When a great affliction is about to come upon the world, heaven often puts a warning in the sky so that people may either advert the punishment through prayers and penance, or may prepare themselves to suffer the affliction. The secret had not yet been published when on the night of Tuesday, January 25th, 1938, there was an astronomical event so spectacular it not only made the papers, but even the scientific and astronomical journals. There was a red aurora that was seen over the whole of Europe, across North Africa, even in Bermuda and all the way down to Southern California. Now that's really rare. I lived in the Arctic. And I, I probably saw red once or twice. I've seen a lot of the Northern Lights a lot. It's super rare to see red, let alone some uh, something like that. Immediately afterwards, Sister Lucia explained the significance of this event to her bishop, her provincial superior, and her confessors. As she wrote in her third memoir, quote, God made use of this to make me understand that his justice was about to strike the guilty nations. Close quote. In 1967, who was the Cardinal Patriarch of Lisbon from 1929 to 1971. The Cardinal testified, quote, the eminence of this war and its violent in, violence and extent was communicated by Sister Lucia to the Bishop of Viera seven months before its beginning. I possess a summary of it, which says the following, the principal chastisement will be for the nations that wanted to destroy the kingdom of God and souls. God has resolved to purify in their blood all the nations which want to destroy his kingdom and souls. And yet he promises to be appeased and grant pardon if people pray and do penance. Close quote. God has resolved to purify in their blood all the nations which want to destroy his kingdom and souls. And yet he promises to be appeased and grant pardon if people pray and do penance. If that were true in the 1930s, that God was resolved to purify in their blood all the nations which wanted to destroy his kingdom and souls. And what are we to think of our times? and Of our nation? Sometimes we'll hear the objection, but why would Our Lady say the war would break out to the pontificate of Pius XI? The war didn't start in 1938, or during the reign of Pius XI, but rather in 1939, during the reign of Pius XII. Well Hitler himself gave the answer. In a speech to the Reichstag, the German Parliament, on January 30, 1939, Hitler stated he decided on the invasion of Austria in January of 1938. If people do not cease offending God, a worse war will break down out during the pontificate of Pius XI. It's estimated that the total number of deaths in World War II was 50 million. After the war, a priest asked her sister Lucia, it's a shame the secret was not published before the war. Why didn't you make it known early? Sister Lucia replied, because no one asked me to. Now that's not a flippant answer. It actually reveals an important point. Fr. Michelle of the Most Holy Trinity explains, it was not God's will that Sister Lucia reveal the secret on her own authority without the consent of her superiors. There's often a grave misunderstanding of God's designs at Fatima. His primary purpose was not to warn the people directly and democratically for them to convert. This would have been the case had Sister Lucia published the Prophecies of the Secret on her own initiative. God's design is entirely different. He wants to save the world through devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, but he also wills that the pastors of his church be the ones who establish this devotion solemnly using their God-given authority. Close quote. Let's turn to Russia. Our Lady, if my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions to the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. As we know, her requests were not heeded. World War II broke out and Russia did not convert, and still hasn't. We all know that. But although the Cold War ended, Russia's errors are still spreading out throughout the world. Now this is such a vast subject, we only have the time to focus on two specific areas, and still, we're only going to look at those in the broadest outlines. We'll start by considering the political and cultural errors of Russia, and again, we only have time to touch on this in the most superficial way. For the most part, what follows is paraphrases and quotes I've stitched together. George Lukacs of Hungary and Antonio Gramsci of Italy, the fathers of cultural Marxism, taught that communism was impossible in the West until both Western civilization and Christianity were destroyed, since they had blinded the working class to its true Marxist class interest. George Lukacs recognized that the great obstacle to the creation of a Marxist regime was Western civilization itself. As he said, quote, I see the revolution and destruction of society as the only solution. A worldwide overturning of values cannot take place without annihilation of the old values and a creation of new ones, close quote. So there we have the agenda of cultural Marxism in a nutshell explained by one of its creators. I see the revolution and destruction of society as the only solution. A worldwide overturning of values cannot take place without the annihilation of the old values and the creation of new ones. Antonio Gramsci, the other creator of cultural Marxism, argued that the West would have to be de-Christianized by means of a long march to the institutions. Now what he meant by this is that the culture must be the new battleground and all cultural barriers to the acceptance of Marxism must be removed or reconfigured according to Marxist principles. All cultural barriers to the acceptance of Marxism had to be removed or reconfigured, starting with traditional family, moving on through the churches, the arts, cinema, theater, literature, science, history, entertainment, schools, colleges, universities, seminaries, civic organizations, the organs of mass media, newspapers, magazines, radio, now television, and so forth. Pat Buchanan comments on the long march, quote, in other words, they had to get into the culture and change the people's way of thinking. And if people were thinking about patriotism and nation and God and country, that was too resistant to Marxism. It could never take hold. So you had to erode and destroy that in the individuals. That began what is called the long march to the institutions, through the seminaries, through the churches, through the media, through Hollywood and all the rest of it, to create an anti-Christian culture which would destroy Christian beliefs and convictions in the vast majority of the people so they would embrace the ideas they'd rejected and they'd be open to a takeover, basically, by Marxists. Not political Marxists, but cultural Marxists. Close quote. Now, the great historian Christopher Dawson reflected on the consequences where a society to lose its common principles and ideals, which is exactly the explicit goal of the cultural Marxists. Christopher Dawson, quote, it is easy enough for the individual to adopt a negative attitude of critical skepticism. But if society as a whole abandons all positive beliefs, it's powerless to resist the disintegrating effects of selfishness and private interest. Every society rests in last resort on the recognition of common principles and common ideals. and If it makes no moral or spiritual appeal to the loyalty of its members, it must inevitably fall to pieces. Well, here we are, watching what precious little remains of Western civilization falling into pieces, or more accurately, being smashed into pieces. The question is, is how did this move from Marxist theory into the wider culture? How do we get here? Given the time, we only have the time to make a thumbnail sketch of the work of the Frankfurt School. It's founded in 1923 in Frankfurt, Germany, with a primary goal, of destroying destroying traditional Christian culture in Germany. When Hitler came to power in 1933 they fled to the United States since every single member of the Frankfurt School was not only a cultural Marxist but also a Jew. With the help of Columbia University the school re-established itself in New York City and changed its focus from destroying traditional Christian culture in Germany to destroying it in the United States. They realized that the American working class would not lead a Marxist revolution because it was becoming part of the middle class, the bourgeoisie. Who then would lead the revolution? They sifted through our society, tried to find disaffected people, and in the 1950s they settled on the idea of a coalition made up of blacks, students, feminist women, and homosexuals. By crossing Marx with Freud, they invented something called critical theory. Critical theory involves making the most destructive criticism of every possible cultural norm, in order to destroy the current social order. For example, everyone who's successful in business or has a position of power in the church or state is an oppressor. Those who are not successful are automatically victims. Someone who defends the notion there's actually different social roles for men and women as a misogynist or a chauvinist or a fascist. Uh, fathers and uh, bishops are patriarchal tyrants and so forth and so forth. They took a long view and uh, they're unfortunately un- influential writings continually poured out contempt on the different institutions, the traditional family, the churches, the arts, cinema, theater, literature, and so forth. In institutions of so-called higher education, the cultural Marxism of the Frankfurt School is more commonly known as multiculturalism, or more loosely as political correctness. The Frankfurt School also adopted the technique of psychological conditioning. Quote, today for example, when their foot soldiers want to do something like normalize homosexuality, They do not argue the point philosophically. They just beam television show after television show into every American home where the only normal-seeming white male is a homosexual. The Frankfurt School's uh, key people spent the war years in Hollywood. One author summarized specific recommendations of the Frankfurt School. One, creation of racism offenses. Two, continual change to create confusion. Three, the teaching of sex and homosexuality to children. Four, the undermining of schools and teachers' authority. Five, huge immigration to destroy identity. Six, the promotion of excessive drinking. Seven, emptying of churches. Eight, an unreliable legal system with bias against victims of crime. Nine, dependency on the state or state benefits. Ten, controlling and dumbing down of media. Eleven, encouraging the breakdown of the family. That's what the errors of Russia look like. We certainly don't have time to cover each of those topics in detail, so briefly consider just a few of the attacks by the cultural Marxists. The attack on the family. One of the principal goals of the Frankfurt School was to destroy traditional relations between men and women, and I quote, to further their aims they would attack the authority of the father, deny the specific roles of father and mother, and wrest away from families their rights as primary educators of their children. Abolish differences in the education of boys and girls. Abolish all forms of male dominance, hence the presence of women in the armed forces. Declare women to be an oppressed class and men as oppressors. The Frankfurt School scholars taught that even a partial breakdown of parental authority in the family might tend to increase the readiness of a coming generation to accept social change. Close quotes. So this drive to Norfall divorce, towards homosexual marriage, this relentless denigration of the traditional father and the mass media, the phenomenon of feminism, these things didn't spring out of a vacuum. That's what the errors of Russia look like. Politically correct speech. The cultural Marxists use words as weapons, not as means of conveying truths. The whole notion of political correctness has its origin in the Frankfurt School. In order not to be thought of a racist or fascist, then someone can't be judgmental. And not only is he required to be non-judgmental, a politically correct term which correctly translated, we're gonna translate non-judgmental correctly in English, it means we're supposed to quit conforming our judgment to the laws of God. So not only is he required to to be non-judgmental, but he also must embrace at the same time a whole host of politically correct moral absolutes, cultural Marxist absolutes, which include diversity, choice, sensitivity, sexual orientation, reproductive rights, sex education, safe sex, safe schools, safe environments, inclusion, and tolerance. One blogger has some penetrating insights as to the actual function of politically correct speech. Political correctness is communist propaganda writ small. The purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, nor to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they're forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity. To assent to obvious lies is to cooperate with evil, and in some small way, to become evil oneself. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to." Close quote. When people are forced to remain silent when they're being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they're forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity. To assent to obvious lies is to cooperate with evil in some small way, to become evil oneself. One's resistance to stand against anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. That's what the heirs of Russia look like. The mass media. By 1937, his encyclical on atheistic communism, the Pope was already warning the world about the relationship between the non Catholic press and international communism. This is in 19. 19- 37. It hasn't improved over time. I think we can just take it as a given. The media in large part are controlled by cultural Marxists. I don't want to waste our time for something so self-evident. The sexual revolution. The very phrase sexual revolution was coined by a member of the Frankfurt School. Now he was a Freudian psychoanalyst named Wilhelm Reich. As E. Michael Jones has pointed out, Reich discovered the best way to attack the social system, which rested on the authority of the Father, who represented the authority of God the Father on Earth, was to persuade the young person to engage in sexual activity before marriage. Once God was out of the picture, the authority of the Father disappeared, with that the whole social order based on the moral order collapsed, since sexual morality is the foundation of social order. Obviously getting the man involved in a sexual revolution was not the great challenge. The great problem was getting the average woman to participate, since in a fling, she has far more at stake. And Lenin taught, quote, the success of a revolution depends on the degree of participation by women. Reich saw that when he was dealing with an individual woman, he had a very hard time breaking down her moral standards and inhibitions. As long as she remained difficult to corrupt, the revolution couldn't move forward. By his study of psychology, and I would submit, uh, guided by demonic inspiration, Wright discovered a way to effectively corrupt women in massive numbers. As he saw, individually women were difficult to corrupt, but if they were immersed in a social situation where it seemed like everyone is doing it, they'd have a difficult time preserving their moral standards and inhibitions. Now, if that sounds far-fetched or unbelievable, listen to this. In a lecture several years ago at Loyola College in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, so-called Catholic College, the professor stated that sexual promiscuity and hooking up among college students was voluntary. Doesn't sound too controversial. Now, remember, Reich makes the claim that if a woman is placed in a a large group in which forbidden things are discussed or acted out, then in that atmosphere of social pressure, she'll have a difficult time upholding her moral standards. Okay, so in the light of Reich's claims, listen to this response to to, to, to the professor's statement that sex among college students is voluntary, quote, a young woman, a dormitory resident advisor, walked to, up to me afterwards and chided me. Dr. Goring, you're mistaken about that. The peer pressure and the way things are set up makes promiscuity practically obligatory. It doesn't matter what the school says officially. The rules are to be broken. This freedom can make girls dizzy and unsure of whatever, whatever, whatever else they believe about saving oneself for marriage. When it seems like everyone else is doing it, it is hard to say no. I deal with it more frequently, turn my eyes from it every day as an RA." Close quote. Now the techniques suggested by Reich in breaking down the moral inhibitions of women are applied literally right out of his books. Things like Woodstock, similar musical festivals the sexual revolution in the 60s. This is the function of sex ed classes, the reality in almost all the college dorms today, the fashion industry, The porn, drenched mass media, most especially the entertainment industry, all play a crucial role in sustaining this atmosphere because, after all, as Lenin so correctly pointed out, the success of a revolution depends on the degree of participation by the women. Please don't think these people had no idea what they were unleashing. We need to realize, in regards to the secular revolution in the West, the cultural Marxists had a very clear idea of what a society in the throes of sexual anarchy would look like. 1956, Pichirim Sorokin, he's a Russian sociologist that was exiled at the revolution, described just such a society, quote, during the first stage of the revolution, the Bolshevik revolution, leaders deliberately attempted to destroy marriage and the family. Free love was glorified by the official glass of water theory. If a person is thirsty, so went the party line, it is immaterial what glass he uses when satisfying his thirst. It is equally unimportant how he satisfies his sexual appetites. The legal distinction between marriage and casual relations was abolished and abortion was facilitated in state institutions. Premarital relations were praised and extramarital relations were considered normal. In a short period of time, millions of lives, especially of young girls, were wrecked. Divorces skyrocketed and as also did abortions Hatreds and conflicts mounted rapidly, so did mental illness. Work in the nationalized factories slackened. The total results were so appalling that the gover- government was forced to reverse its policy. The theory was declared to be counter-revolutionary, and it was replaced by official glorification of premarital chastity and of the sanctity of marriage. Abortion was radically curtailed, and divorce was made impossible for the vast majority of citizens." Close quote. It's important to realize that men like Wilhelm Reich were very familiar with the results of this social experience with sexual anarchy inside the Soviet Union. That didn't deter them in the slightest. They knew exactly what to expect. Let's talk about another application of Reich's techniques. In January 2002, the Islamic Association for Palestine News Agency reported that experts from the CIA and the Shin Bet, now the Shin Bet is the Internal Security Service, of of Israel, the experts from the CIA and the Shinbeth recommend that the relatively conservative Palestinian society be flooded with porn, with drugs, and with gambling in order to keep Palestinian youths from joining the resistance against Israeli occupation and apartheid. Two months later, at 4.30 p.m. on March 30, 2002, Israeli military forces occupied the city of Ramal in the West Bank. Now that's where Bethlehem is in the West Bank. Israeli military forces seized three of the four Palestinian TV stations broadcast in the area and immediately began broadcasting triple F's porn over these stations. The situation in Ramallah was made much worse by the fact that Israelis imposed a curfew enforced by snipers stationed on rooftops, forcing people to stay indoors where naturally enough anyone seeking information about the occupation would turn to the local TV stations. Some months later, the House heard testimony from Benjamin Netanyahu. At the time, he was the former Prime Minister of of Israel. He's now, again, the current Prime Minister of Israel. Netanyahu advocated here in the House of Representatives in our United States, transmitting provocative or explicit television programs via satellite into Iran because the influx of pop culture would prove subversive to the conservative Islamic regime. He explicitly stated, that the United States could incite a revolution by using shows from network TV. And he gave specific examples of programs produced by the Fox network, which he considered to be so subversive that they could incite such a revolution. Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210. He explained the reason these shows were so subversive is that they featured beautiful young people in varying states of undress, living glamorous materialistic lives and engaging in promiscuous behavior. Following the invasion of Iraq by American forces, porn immediately became available. And the American military police actively prevented the Iraqi police from enforcing vice laws, actively prevented them from curtailing the flood of this type of filth in Iraqi society. So what are we talking about here? We are talking about the military application of the cultural warfare of the Frankfurt School. We are talking about psychological warfare. We are talking about the military use of porn. We are talking about psychological warfare of the most wicked kind. It is so wicked, in fact, it can only be placed in one possible category, diabolical. That's not an exaggeration. This is actually a sin known as diabolical scandal, because those who commit this sin are actually attacking their brothers in precisely the same manner as demons. We are talking about the deliberate and diabolical military use of porn to demoralize and disrupt a conservative and relatively stable society. And everybody here ought to spend some serious time thinking about that. Since our country is basted in this stuff 24-7, TVs, movies, billboards, magazines, the internet. And our country projects this filth globally 24-7. That's what the errors of Russia look like. That's what the errors of Russia look like. And we live in the country that in our day and age, it's more responsible than any other for spreading those errors. One of my good friends is a Russian. He's a convert. He's actually a Russian priest. One day he told me, I couldn't believe it when I got here to the U.S. I didn't know it was possible. And I said, you didn't know what was possible? He said, to actually have a successful Marxist country. Many said, but there's one big difference. You love your chains, but we resisted. Before we leave this point, let's note that Wilhelm Reich made another key discovery a key discovery that's borne great fruit in the long march through the institutions. Reich learned that it was utterly useless to debate the existence of God with a seminarian. But as E. Michael Jones points out, Reich saw clearly that the idea of God evaporated from the minds of seminarians who became enmeshed in sexual vice. The idea of God evaporates from the minds of seminarians who become enmeshed in sexual vice. Reich's uh, discovery has had practical applications in seminary formation, at least here in the States. I'll limit myself to one example. In the late 70s, in a scandal that was publicly exposed at the time, the rector of St. John's Seminary in Plymouth, Michigan, was showing the seminarians triple X movies. He later moved to a position which he could inflict even more damage, serving as the Bishop of Saginaw from 1980 till he died in 2004. And I pray for him every day. The idea of God evaporates the mind of seminarians or priests or bishops who become enmeshed in sexual vice. That's what the errors of Russia look like. And it wasn't only the cultural Marxists who target the seminaries. Bella Dodd was a communist who served as legal counsel of the Communist Party here in the United States until Bishop Sheen brought her into the church. She stated that, quote, In the 1930s, we put 1,100 men into the priesthood in order to destroy the church from within. Close quote. Those young men weren't necessarily communists, they were young radicals. My idea was for them to become ordained and then strive for positions of influence and authority. In 1953, Manning Johnson, another former official of the Communist Party America, testified before the House un American Activities Committee, quote, the, tact of infil- the, tact of, the tactic of infiltration of religious organizations was set by the Kremlin. In the earliest stages it was determined, it would be necessary to concentrate communist agents in the seminaries. Because these institutions would make it possible for a small communist minority to influence the ideology of future clergymen in the paths conducive to communist purposes." Close quote. But in regards to sexual revolution, that's not the only error of Russia that we currently export. Remember the agenda of the cultural Marxist, it was explained clearly by one of its creators. The revolution and destruction of society is the only solution. A worldwide overturning of values cannot take place without annihilation of the old values and creation of new ones. Now, by way of illustration, compare and contrast, consider the quote I'm going to read. Quote, creative destruction is our middle name, both within our own society and abroad. We tear down the old order every day, from business to science, literature, art, architecture and cinema, to politics and the law. Our enemies have always hated this whirlwind of energy and creativity, which menaces their traditions, whatever they may be, and shames them for their inability to keep pace. Seeing America undo traditional societies, they fear us, for they do not wish to be undone. They cannot feel secure so long as we are there. For our own very existence, our existence, not our politics, threatens their legitimacy. They must attack us in order to survive, just as we must destroy them to advance our historic mission." Close quote. Now, that's pure, undiluted cultural Marxism. That quote was taken from the writings of Michael Ledeen. He's a former member of the Reagan and the George W. Bush administrations. He's a leader in the neoconservative movement, which largely controls the Republican Party. And if you reflect on what he's saying, you'll start understanding much more about our foreign policy and our interminable wars. Just think about the unbelievably arrogant and messianic attitude expressed in that paragraph, that the United States must destroy other countries, that we must destroy traditional societies in order to advance our historical mission. They should fear us because we will undo them. They cannot feel secure because because our very existence, not our politics, threatens their legitimacy, that they must attack us in order to survive just as we must destroy them to advance our historic mission. Well, what is our historic mission? Is it try to get to heaven, or is it something else? Did I miss something? What's the function of a country? To make it easier to get to heaven. The greatness of a country is measured by the number of canonized saints they have. Think about that. Malta has us whipped every way from breakfast. Consider the Wolfowitz Doctrine, so-called after another neoconservative, who, among other things, was Under Secretary of Defense for Policy under George W. Bush. This is a policy. The Wolfowitz Doctrine this is a policy calling for the United States to take preemptive military action to suppress potential threats from other nations. You know what preemptive military action is? That's Pearl Harbor. Only it's us, Pearl Harbor, and other people. And also to prevent any other nations from rising to superpower status. That's what the heirs of Russia look like. This sort of insanity in the upper levels of our government has led to one of the ironies of history, In an article which was published on April 12th of this year, the 60th anniversary of the Virgin of Revelation's first appearance to Bruno at Tre This article is provocatively entitled, Is That Armageddon Over the Horizon? Paul Craig Roberts reports, quote, Russia is preparing for a hot war. Russia is now convinced that Washington is preparing for a U.S. preemptive nuclear strike against Russia. Published U.S. war plans against China have convinced China of the same. The Russian leaders have said clearly that Russia will never again fight a war on her own territory. The Russians couldn't put it more clearly. Provoke a war and we will destroy you on your own territory, close quotes. Russia is now convinced that Washington is preparing for U.S. preemptive nuclear strike against Russia. Well, with things like the Wolfowitz Doctrine, why wouldn't you be concerned about that? You'd have to be crazy not to be concerned about that. Published U.S. war plans against China have convinced China the same. The Russian leaders have said clearly that Russia will never again fight a war on her own territory. The Russians could more clearly provoke a war, will destroy you on your own territory. The Virgin of Revelation. The dangers are at the door, a nuclear war. Men, reckless and proud and satanic arrogance, want the world in their hands, not thinking of the kingdom of heaven. They do not prepare for peace and say they rashly prepare themselves for destruction. The atom bomb is ready. Men without conscience threaten to use it. The danger is becoming closer than you think. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. Our Lady was not heeded. Russia has spread her errors throughout the world, and now our country is busy really spreading them in regards to causing wars. an interview with the late Zbigniew Brzezinski, he'd been the National Security Advisor to President Carter, very enlightening interview. He revealed that President Carter signed the first directive for secret aid to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in a provocative action that actually caused the Soviets to come in. The secret aid went in six months before the Soviets rolled into Afghanistan. And in fact, this started, President Carter started a program called Operation Cyclone which the CIA set up Islamic training schools in Pakistan and taught the Mujahideen terrorist techniques. Mujahideen are now known by names like the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. The Virgin of Revelation, from the east a strong people but far away from God will unleash a tremendous attack, will break the most holy and sacred things when it will be allowed them to do so. Before we leave this topic, some remarks from Cardinal Burke are worth pondering. Before he we went uh, to Rome from St. Louis, uh, then Archbishop Burke said that as Catholics can continue to speak out on life and family issues, they'll face persecution. There's going to be a persecution with regard to this, that's clear. We live, as our Holy Father says, in a society of a culture of death where people want to convince us that everything should be convenient and comfortable, and they don't like to hear a voice which says, this isn't right. Bishops will be persecuted, he said, and also priests and lay people. It's what it means to be a sign of contradiction. We just have to accept that, we have to remain tranquil and proclaim the truth with charity, but insisting on the truth. If we look to the example of our Lord, we take up the cross. Let's close this section with a few comments from Patrick Buchanan. Quote, the United States has undergone a cultural, moral, and religious revolution. We've lost the cultural war with cultural Marxism, which I think has prevailed pretty much in the United States, is now the dominant culture, whereas those of us that are traditionalists are the counterculture." Close quote. So we took a superficial look at the political and cultural areas of Russia. After all, when we talk about Russia, most people think think in terms of Marxism, and that's true. But we also need to remember that when our lady was speaking to the children, the communist revolution had not yet taken place. At that time Russian Orthodoxy was the religion of that country. It's impossible to understand the errors of Russia without considering the religious errors of Russia, the errors of Eastern Orthodoxy. In that light, we'll only mention four of the principal errors of Orthodoxy that are of particular interest today. The first and most serious error pertains to Our Lady. The very reason for the communions of reparation on the five first Saturdays is to make reparation for different kinds of offenses and blasphemies committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the first of which is blasphemies against her Immaculate Conception. But that's precisely what the Orthodox do, is deny she's immaculately conceived. The second error pertains to the Orthodox concept of church unity and the role of the Pope. We quote from an Orthodox website, In practice, the Church of Constantinople has functioned for centuries as a church responsible for guiding and preserving the worldwide unity of the family of self-governing Orthodox churches. But it must be noticed that this responsibility is merely a practical and pastoral one. The Orthodox churches govern themselves, electing their own bishops and organizing their own lives. There is no one dominating authority in the Orthodox Church no particular bishop or see or document which has authority over the churches, Close So Orthodox has splintered themselves in all kinds of particular independent national churches. They do not recognize any ultimate authority, and in so doing, reject the clear gospel teaching of Christ regarding the primacy of Peter, the bishop of Rome, over all the church. So that's the second error. Third error pertains to marriage. Again, we quote from an Orthodox website the Orthodox Church recognizes the sanctity of marriage and sees it as lifelong commitment. However, while the Church stands opposed to divorce, the Church in its concern for the salvation of its people does permit divorced individuals to marry a second and even a third time. Second or third marriages are performed out of concern for the spiritual well-being of the parties involved and as an exception to the rule, so to speak. Close quote. Okay, so the Orthodox who claim to be faithful to the teachings of Christ allow a man to keep turning his wife in on a new model for a grand total of three wives. But I don't get why he'd stop there. I mean, why why not seven? I mean, why three? Anyway, in so doing, they've totally and completely corrupted the clear gospel teaching of Christ regarding the indissolubility of marriage. So that's their third error. And the fourth error pertains to Holy Communion. The Orthodox allow these divorced and so-called remarried people to receive Holy Communion. In other words, by allowing a divorced person, now living in sin with someone who's not really a spouse, to receive Holy Communion, they officially allow sacrilege. In so doing, have completely and totally corrupted the scriptural and apostolic teaching regarding the proper dispositions needed to receive Holy Communion worthily. So that's the fourth error. Those are some of the religious errors of Russia. In point of fact, each of the last three errors have been heavily promoted and I say this with great sorrow, in Rome. There, there, whereby the Orthodox churches govern themselves, electing their own bishops, and organizing their own lives, has been promoted at the synod of Bishops under the title of decentralization, by arguing that power should be passed from the Holy See to the bishops' conferences of the various nations. And as well we know, the of the Orthodox somehow recognizing people living in sin is as actually, actually being married, then compounding that scandalous recognition by extending to those poor sinners an official invitation to make sacrilegious communions. Those have both been heavily promoted as well. I say this also with great sorrow. An application of Moris the We'll just list a few of the dioceses in which the Pope, to varying degrees, has shown his approval for the mode in which they are applying Moris the Titiae. Now, there are some differences, nonetheless, in each one of these cases. The bottom line is that in these dioceses, active adulterers are to be given Holy Communion. Diocese, this is just three, there's more. Buenos Aires, pastoral region of Argentina. The Pope wrote a letter to these bishops, quote, praising their guidelines as an authentic interpretation of Amoris Petitiae. The letter goes so far as to say there are no further interpretations, close quote. Diocese of Malta, whose pastoral guidelines are published in the official newspaper of the Vatican, the Romano, and the Diocese of Rome. Again, although there are some differences, Nonetheless, the bottom line is in each of these dioceses, active adulterers are supposed to be given Holy Communion. In other words, many of our supposedly Catholic leaders have embraced these religious errors of Russia and in so doing are actually and literally advocating for pastoral practices that will bury their people and any priests that are weak enough to go along with them right in the depths of hell. the depths of hell. That's what the heirs of Russia look like. Let's close with some thoughts from Sister Lucia. On December 26, 1957, Father Gustin Fuentes met with Sister Lucia at her convent in Coimbra, Portugal. He was able to converse with the Fatima seer at Great length. Upon his return to Mexico, he gave a conference on the meeting in which he reported Sister Lucia's words. Father Alfonso, the official Fatima archivist for 16 years, stressed that the account of this conference was published with every guarantee of authenticity and would due Episcopal approval, including that of the Bishop of Fatima. Father Fuentes affirmed that the message came from the very lips of the principal seer. Sister Lucia told me, The two means for saving the world are prayer and sacrifice. Regarding the Holy Rosary, Sister Lucia said, Look, Father, the Most Holy Virgin in these last times in which we live has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the Rosary. She has given this efficacy to such an extent that there's no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether temporal or above all spiritual, in the personal life of each one of us, of our families, the families of the world, of the religious communities, or even the lives of peoples and nations that cannot be solved by the Rosary. There's no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves, we will sanctify ourselves, we will console our Lord, and obtain the salvation of many souls. The Most Holy Virgin, these last times in which we live, has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the rosary. She's given this efficacy to such an extent there's no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether temporal or of all spiritual, in the personal life of each one of us, of our families, of the families of the world, of the religious communities, or even of the lives of peoples and nations, that cannot be solved by the rosary. There's no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the power of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary we will save ourselves, we will sanctify ourselves, we will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. There is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. Pray your Rosary. Pray your Rosary. Pray your Rosary. Pray your Rosary.